Hey everybody, this is Matt, and before we start this episode of the podcast, I wanted to let you know that we recorded uh, this conversation on March 3rd. At that point in time, uh, it was less than clear publicly, and uh, certainly to those of us in the conversation of the realities related to COVID-19 and the spread of the virus across our country and our world. Uh, Lest we appear tone deaf in this conversation, uh, I wanted to make that clear at the outset. However, we felt like the, the conversation that we had related to missions and God's work to the ends of the earth was still edifying and profitable and in some sense evergreen before or after uh, the crises that we're facing now. So we hope you're encouraged uh, by our conversation related to God's mission. Hey, welcome back to TCC Chats with your hosts, Brandon and Matt. And this week, we're going to do a mission update. So we've had several folks from our church, the church at Cherrydale in Greenville, South Carolina, on uh, some really cool missions trips, some short-term opportunities, and uh, hopefully leading into, uh, in some cases, some longer-term uh, mission work. And so we just want to take a, an episode and recap kind of what happened, celebrate the wins, and uh, just thank God and, and the folks who helped us to send for the opportunities that we had to go and serve. So uh, sitting around the table this morning, it's Phil Thompson. Hey. And uh, yeah, that was that was over-the-top enthusiasm. So, uh, Phil, where, tell us a little bit about you. If somebody doesn't know you, uh, what are the highlights? And then where did you get to go? So highlight reel for my life. Um, I live in Taylor's and I'm married to my wife, Laurel. Uh, We've been married for 12 years and have three kids, all girls, um, Lane, who's six, Caitly, who's two, and Harper, who's now five months. And um, I am uh, working toward church planting in the nearish future here. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, so enjoy going on trips to do uh, training with future pastors or existing pastors in different locales. I've done some trips to Peru over the past years, and um, so so this is something that that I enjoy being able to do when I when I have flexibility and so on. Um, doing some schooling right now. I'm working on my doctorate at Columbia International University, and so uh, a lot of what I'm training in uh helps me do that kind of work better so it's it's a lot of fun for that right on yeah so we'll come back to the where in just a second and also josh trainer who's a resident at the church of cherrydale so tell us a little bit more about yourself yeah you probably should have had uh, me go first because i don't have a lot to follow after that <laughs> that's okay you're a young guy it takes a little while to accom- uh, to accumulate a resume right yeah well, my name is Josh Trainer. I've been at TCC for almost seven years since I was a freshman at North Greenville in 2013. Just got engaged recently, so uh, yes. most of my life is congratulations. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's around planning and preparing for marriage, and I was able to go to India, which I've been to a few times before, and went with another former member from TCC, Alex Lee, who most people refer to as Lex. Yep. And we got to spend just under a month there. Yeah, and he he left, Lex left, if you know who he is, to work on medical school to eventually hopefully go into medical missions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is awesome. Um, You know, as a tidbit aside, I hated being engaged. 
love being married. It's awesome. But uh, the engagement period, it felt like uh, I apologize to the ladies who listened to this, who were involved in this, but all the women in my life just went crazy for a few months. And then like it settled back down after we got married. It was nice. So yeah, good for you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the temporary guest co-host, Matt, just kidding, um, went to. Yeah. So I spent a week in Uganda, um, in the central, then Eastern part, uh, spent five days in five different locations and little over a week total on the trip. And I loved being engaged. I mean, yeah. and married and just anything oh, yeah. related life? to my mm, wife I love was, it. was great. That was, that was a man hedging his best. That was well done. Good call. Yeah, that was well done. Love you, Sarah. That's right. And so uh, kind of around the table, let's, let's talk a little bit about where you guys were, what you were doing. Uh, so, you know, may as well go as you deal cards. So, Phil, you were in the South Tome. Yes, Sao Tome. Sao Tome. Um, there you go. Which is a Portuguese-speaking island off the uh, western coast of Africa. Uh, they refer to it as off the armpit of Africa, oh, which nice. um, has to do with with kind of the the shape, the curvature of of Africa's west coast there. And so, um, so yeah, it's it, you can't see the continent from there. Um, and just just a lot of um, history there in terms of um, kind of the Portuguese uh, colonial powers and stuff that had the island uh, for for many years, and and there are a lot of ripple effects to the present in terms of how people deal with life or view power, authority, uh, those kinds of things uh, still still kind of impacting there. Um, it, there, there's no deep water port, so everything comes to the island in small batches, and there's a lot of poverty there on the island. So, uh, people's abilities to to have uh, a lot of the even necessities of life are are pretty um, difficult, and uh, there there are more people who have access to like mopeds and, th- and things like that to get around. Um, uh, electricity is is common in certain parts of the island, but in other parts, it's really sporadic. Um, so it's it kind of depends on where you go. Uh, but it's a really beautiful island. Uh, put it up there with with like the Bahamas and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's really amazing, uh, right off the equator, and stays about eh, 80s, maybe high 70s all year round. Uh, we get some rain off and on during different seasons uh, yeah. but really really nice place and so you were you were there uh to you you mentioned earlier to train pastors yeah so came for a uh basically a week on the ground there so about 10 days including travel um and doing that to to work with a group of pastors who were there um on the island they've been a lot of them have been serving for a decent amount of time, some of them decades. Uh, and then there are some kind of on the periphery that were, they, they refer to them as leaders um, who some of them are working within established churches, but some of them have uh, started doing what they call preaching points where an established church sends out a young leader who shows some potential to start doing preaching on Sundays 
in maybe a smaller village that doesn't have a congregation there. Um, and so all these folks were, were there, um, had about a hundred in the, in the gatherings and from at least four main denominations, assemblies of God, um, brethren, Baptist, and there's like a, a group that they call evangelical. That's like kind of a splinter off the assemblies of God. Um, so we, we had a good variety of backgrounds and interests and so on. Yeah. Why are they bringing people from outside to do training with their pastors? Um, so the there's a there's a couple that connects all these pastors that spends a lot of time just networking on the ground um, building the relationships obviously to get that many denominations in the same room uh, without them uh, killing each other is uh, a pretty amazing work in and of itself for and sure. so they've been on the ground for uh, over a decade now building those relationships uh, forming forming partnerships and, and setting up those meetings and for a long time they have been also doing the teaching but at some point they realized that the administration of the the classes plus all the networking stuff was just way too much for them and so when they found that there was a partner ministry reaching and teaching international ministries mm-hmm. uh, who could send in teachers from elsewhere who could have the lesson material already prepared uh, it took a huge burden off their shoulders so they could focus on doing what they were really best at and what they were skilled at yeah. and let these teachers come in and teach and be focused on their content. Yeah, so that that's pretty cool. So it, it sounds like um, kind of moving to Josh, it was almost like your trip. You guys were like these kind of point leaders, like preaching guys, like trying to find people in towns where there's not an active mission. So you say a little bit more about what you were doing in India and kind of where you were. Yeah, so our what we were doing was pretty varied in some sense. So in, thir- in Acts 13.2, when the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas, he says, set them apart for the work that I've called them to. Acts 14.26, when they finished their first missionary journey, they came back because they had completed the work that they had been entrusted with. So the guys that are in Northwest India, the guys that I've been working with when I go there, they kind of broke down the question, what is what is the work? What's the work that they've been called to? Because essentially six things, six practices. So it's entering new places, identifying where has Jesus never been proclaimed, then entering those places. When you're there, sharing the gospel, sowing lots of seed, once the seed takes root, starts to sprout, then you start discipling, equipping new believers, then teaching them how to gather together. As they begin to gather, raising up leaders, and then getting the work to a point where the missionaries are able to leave and exit, or at least leave temporarily and let the work continue to, to sustain itself. So yeah. while we were there, we uh, got to take part in a little bit of training. So we were like training some of the national believers to do the work. Um, but then we also got to go out into some areas where there's really no work known happening and we're just able to look for what's called people of peace. Yeah. So can I ask you about the like training new believers in a context where there was not previously any Christian witness? How is that uh, different? It's obviously going to be radically different, but how is that different from, you know, say what we would do here with folks who come in and say, I'm, I'm really interested in 
church planting or missions or, you know, serving in a kid's ministry somewhere, could you guys mentor me along and help me to get there versus somebody who the process was no one here has ever heard of Jesus. And then now, you know, how many is it weeks, days later, we're training, preparing you to gather together and to then do that work? Or is it somebody who's now been a believer for a year, for two years, for whatever's going on there? What, what's kind of, How's it different? The work being passed off happens fairly quickly when it comes to sharing the gospel and doing early discipleship. So a lot of times when someone comes to faith, or even before they come to faith, when they just hear it, it's a message they've never really heard before. Maybe they've heard the name of Jesus, but never knew who Jesus was and what he did. So a lot of times it's really normal for you to share the gospel with someone and for them to, without being trained at all, to just go home and be like, I heard this today, and I've never heard anything like this before. And so the next time you would follow up with someone and you ask them if they've thought any more about what you shared with them, start walking through it, and then you find out they've already shared with their whole family and their community, not not really on purpose, just because they're bearing witness yeah. of what it, they had it's heard. It's like such a sticky thing. It's like when you're walking through the woods or through a field and you get home and there's like all those seeds stuck to your pants. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, these things came home with me. Mm-hmm. I got I to gotta do something with this. That it just kind of naturally flows out. They're not intentionally sharing right, the gospel right, right. they're just like this is a sticky message i've never heard something like this. exactly yeah, yeah that's cool yeah and so when you are kind of training them uh you know I, I feel like we have a lot of folks who feel like if they were going to share the gospel that they would need to have a phd in theology mm-hmm. and to be able to answer every nuanced question that somebody might have like what's the level of knowledge that these people have as as new believers who are then going to share the gospel it's, it's pretty simple. Most of the time when uh, someone will come to faith or they're kind of early, we'll get them to draw out what we have called kind of an oikos map. And they actually use like the same terminology. So oikos. Yeah, for, for, yeah, for people who are listening, oikos. Yeah. So it's this, this Greek word that just means kind of like household. We would kind of deem it as a word that means kind of circle of influence. So yep. like Acts 16, Lydia, here's the gospel, Lydia and her whole household. So the Greek word Lydia and her oikos believe the response to the gospel yeah so we draw these little oikos maps out basically saying who who around you has never heard this message so in that context there's a lot of people that have never heard that message yeah. literally everyone i know <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and so um i mean you think of uh john four the woman uh, the, at the well so it says this this woman re- saw jesus as the messiah jesus revealed himself to her and her instinct was to go back into the village and she said, come see this man that showed me all that I've ever done. And the text says that many people believe because of the woman's testimony. Then the end of the story says that it was no longer because of the woman's testimony, but people saw for themselves that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's really like, it's the same way here, same way there, just kind of a different cultural context is we can't help to speak about the things we've seen and heard. And Mm -hmm. that shows people Jesus, who he is and his power. Yeah. And so, so for these folks, you know, trying to bring this home to people who would be listening to this in the States, like the idea that you have to be so persuasive and cunning and clever and how you, you know, tell about the gospel is not at all what's going on with these folks. It's actually saying, you know, let the Holy, Holy Spirit empowered word of God yeah, get yeah. into people's hearts and minds and let God do the work of, you know, his word in them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not at all about how skilled these people are in, in sharing the story. It's, I actually believe this story is true. You got to hear this. Like this Jesus is yeah. what we've been looking for. Yeah. 
And there's, I think there's, I think it's good to practice tools and to be well acquainted, but there's also a beauty in God's power being perfected in our weakness, his grace Mm. being sufficient for us. Mm -hmm. So when you feel the spirit pressing you to share with someone and you're like really scared what you're going to say, there's this thing called like the seven seconds of insanity where basically you just, uh, it's not a theological term. It's just a, a reality. Yeah where you feel pressed to say something, but you have no idea what you're going to say, and you just kind of blurt out, hey, is there any way I can pray for you? Yeah. And just kind of get it out there, yeah. and the people are kind of taken back. And then you kind of say, I'm a Jesus follower, and this is what Jesus has done, and I believe that he hears our prayers when we pray, and I'd love to pray for you. And kind of using that as a way to introduce conversations. Start the conversation, yeah. That's, that's really cool. So um, from Sao Tome to India... Is it northern India? Right. Right. And then to Uganda. So Matt, Matt just returned from Uganda, kind of uh, training a different group of people to do a, a similar task. So who were you there with and, and what was the, the aim of your trip? Yeah, I think the, the commonality between all of our stories is the it's, it's an issue of access, right? So like this morning, I'm sitting in a room with other brothers and we've all got Bibles in our language and with a couple of clicks on my phone, I can get commentary access or I can swap an idea with Brandon or, or Josh or Phil and say, Hey, how do you think about this text? But in the majority of the world, like that access either to the truth of the gospel, to scripture in your language, to formative training, to commentary help with sermon texts, those kind of things. It's just not, not a reality uh, for the majority of the world. And so, uh, you know, what my, my task was to take and uh, provide some access to some training for pastors in Uganda and then moving east kind of toward the Kenyan border. Uh, there's a little Baptist seminary uh, there that trains pastors from neighboring countries, actually, that would come in and do uh, they do a modular approach where they live at the seminary for a month, then go back to their country for two months, live at the seminary for a month back to their country for two months it's just you know the, the only way they can afford to get there and stay and do the training which means they're really immersed in what they're doing if you're eat, eating and breathing this thing for a month you know it's pretty uh pretty intense but uh my, my deal was all relational uh we had a uh pastor friend that helped fund support pray for the work of renewal 10 years ago when it was planted uh he pastored a church outside of anderson and uh, they were just good, good friends through the years, you know, good, good buddies and partners in ministry. When he and his wife hit uh, empty nester stage, kids or the majority of their kids were out of the house, uh, they moved to Uganda. Um, they had done some short-term work there and uh, relocated their family and planted their life uh, there right, right outside of Kampala. And uh, the work was pastor training, establishing healthy churches. Yeah, so, so question on that. We, we have a bunch of people who are going to listen to this who are younger. They're not even approaching empty nests. They haven't started filling their nests in some cases. But if, if what we want as pastors and as just believers in general is that you, you don't waste any section of your life like that, mm-hmm. we're all going to, Lord willing, and you know modern estimates saying you're going to live 70, 80 years almost as surely as you can graduate from high school um like how do you how do you orient your life in a way that that's something that you could be looking forward to to say you know what we've we've saved we've got a retirement we could get a mountain house and and live and you know just enjoy our our golden years 
but instead we we're going to uproot everything and move to uganda like that's that's wild like what's the trajectory for that yeah well i think one i mean the lord just has to deeply burden your heart for the need around the world and for the plight of lostness and the need for healthy churches i mean that the reality if you've met this brother's name is johnny um like the the gospel fire in his bones is so significant that um, you know, wh- wh- whether it was in Anderson or Uganda or any point in between, uh, this brother's going to proclaim the gospel. He's going to seek to establish churches. So I think one is just like g- growing in godliness, growing in gospel passion, growing in urgency, sharing the gospel where we are in our places. And then uh, this is one of the reasons that I am a fan of short-term work. I think there are some downsides to short-term mission endeavors. Uh, but once you have some sense of uh, exposure or access uh, to the reality around the world, I, d- I do think there's something really humbling and convicting about that. You know, we come back to this place, and uh, I-, I think we all know intuitively, like, we're really blessed. We've got, like, surplus here, and I'm, I mean, yeah. in, in all kinds of different areas but when you spend a week in in a context that that's other you know however you want to define other i think you come back and that that reality is really heightened so if you're thinking hey how am i gonna how am i gonna steward my life how am i gonna steward resources how am i gonna steward uh just the the level of leadership capacity that a church like ours has it's like man i could do it here but they're probably like a hundred other of me here and that's not to devalue that but man like there's there are other places around the world where there is no one you know doing the work that that trainer and lex were doing or doing what phil's doing so yeah that that stewardship issue is interesting there there's a uh you know in in another world uh, i work in a in a gym and the kind of person who founded what we do you know at one point was trying to raise millions for big research hospitals whatever and then instead said where's the place where ten thousand dollars would make like a world-changing difference right, right and this idea of like a one educated person who loves Jesus in this space would be so radical that, uh, you know, or even not even that educated, somebody who grew up steeped in the gospel in a place where no one has ever heard of Jesus is such a radical change in that space versus, um, you know, hanging out at home, kind of doing the regular where everybody has heard or at least has access, easy yep. access to that context. So, what um, you you were there relationally, but also to uh, train pastors, but in a niche that that's really something you've yeah, spent a lot so of time I, in. I, w- I mean, I was working in church planting, disciple making, uh, mission sending these endeavors. But honestly, you know, as the work began to develop, so I was in five different locations, five days with clusters of say thirty to forty pastors, and really, what you you realize very quickly is kind of all of these worlds crash into one another in the sense that these 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 brothers are kind of given the mantle of leadership pastor kind of just because they're the the most competent person in their place and uh and so they're 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 pastor they're kind of spiritual leader and they're doing really good work but that they haven't been equipped in any endeavor and so um you know i went with like these kind of seminary teaching notes that i would use in in you know at southeastern or wherever else and um, kind of after day one, it was like, you know what? I just need to, I, I need to do like some simple sticky equipping, you know? So we did things like seven arrows. Yeah. That was just simple reproducible tools. Some of the four field stuff that Josh has used. Uh, just simple disciple sharing with three circles, uh, evangelism, 
uh, patterns because again just to equip these brothers so that uh, they were really able to multiply re- and that's one of the things I was going to say the point you made earlier is I think the temptation as a listener would be to think well I've got a we're talking like formative training in a seminary. I, I think we underestimate just the world's church yeah. um, need just like simple Bible reading tools, simple evangelism tools, simple, Hey, I'm seeing people, somebody come to faith. What's like, what do I do? Like how, how do I obey the great commission teaching them all things that Christ has commanded? So it really kind of normalizes who can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes good sense because we, we have the sense that like, I need to go do, uh, at least my master's in divinity before I can go and serve in this fashion. Not discouraging that by any means. Seminaries are awesome. But, you know, that if you can read the Bible and interpret it and you have a whole Bible in your language and you understand what's going on there, like you can really help somebody who has a chapter, a page in some places of a Bible and is trying to fill in the gaps. Yeah, I don't from, think it devalues, but I think, you, you know, just – Meaningful involvement in our local church and small group ministry is the equivalent of Master's Divinity, uh, you know, around. Yeah. So just like helping helping yep. people grow in godliness, just helping connect dots. You know, one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about was, you know, your your salvation driving this life of worshipful obedience. And how do we, you know, they're trying to, to, to tease out prosperity gospel teaching from true gospel teaching. So like these principles that hopefully just undergird every sermon you're hearing at Jerrydale, yeah. every you know, kind of general instruction that you're giving that hopefully it's just kind of in your bones. You get in these contexts and you're just able to help brothers and sisters think through, how do we see that in the scriptures? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, um, hearing that, like Phil, what were some kind of big wins that you had or, or that you saw where it made an impact that you got to spend that time, both maybe in your life and how you came home and, in the space where you're getting to serve the local church in Sao Tome? Um, so the time there in Sao Tome was uh, impactful for me in a lot of ways. And I, I think it was helpful to the, to the leaders there. The, the response seemed really good. We, uh, we covered the seven arrows in our uh, classes there and they seemed really excited to, to learn that and to be able to start implementing it. They've, they've had some, training in the past on Bible study, but this was um, something that they seemed to really resonate with. Um, and part of it was we we worked to get them very involved in the process, get them up out of their seats, writing stuff on, on the boards, uh, making observations, collaborating together and refining uh, their observations on the passages. And, and so we got to the point by the end of the week, we could throw out a passage at them, whatever genre of scripture or whatever, and they could just very quickly tear through it, get the, get the seven arrows uh, written out and, and have really high quality uh, observations that they had drawn from the text. So that was, to me, that's, that's a win because I can see them doing that. And, um, you know, they may, they may or may not implement that in their churches, but at least, they can they've demonstrated that they can yeah as they're they're getting ready to teach it's like the the parable that if you teach a man to fish you can feed him for life so if these people are able to read and interpret the bible faithfully then man now maybe you could pass that on teach someone else to fish and you've got the ability to really get into this one thing you guys are both talking about seven arrows i think we'll do a full episode on the seven arrows at some point but for people who don't know 
what the seven arrows are. Could we give a little bit more context? Yeah, I mean, I can do that. We just we developed uh, a few years ago just a, a, a memorable tool to hopefully help somebody walk through any biblical text and derive the author's intent. Right. So that's the that's the goal of pastoral study and it's the goal of our individual bible study is to say like what what did god intend to say from this text of scripture and um unfortunately just around the world and even in our american churches so few believers are equipped with a process of doing that so then they become passive receptors or uh the pastor becomes the functional mediator between them and god like to hear from god i've got to hear from my pastor because i don't know how to steward this you know the spirit's voice through the text of scripture on my own. So we, yeah, I doodled seven arrows that were just my process of engaging with the biblical text. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, no rocket science to that. There's, there's other tools. There's a sword method that Josh and some guys use guys and gals around the world to, to, to do basically the same thing, which is help somebody get their nose in the Bible. Yeah. Um, again, we want to, we want to attempt to, uh, as best we can remove the, the, I've got to go through a person and in the American church, you know, the temptation to say, I've got to go through a person who's written a devotional study on this passage, right? So yeah. I've got to do this book study. The good of the world's church is they just don't have those resources. Sure, so right. there's not this extra biblical devotional book that's going to guide me through the passage. So it really is. I need to read this thing. I got to read this Bible and figure out figure out what it means what it, and yeah. know how to apply it to my life and the people that I serve. Okay, great. And and then in, in our context, it seems, you know, I don't remember who said this, but the, the man who won't read is no better off than the one who can't. And so, you know, having, having sometimes not feeling equipped to read and understand makes you go, well, I'm just not going to do this. I'll wait till Sunday. Somebody who's read and understood can tell me what I should think about this passage, um, which is better than not hearing it at all. But in a place where we have so much access, man, that's a, that's a rough way to go of things. So teaching the seven arrows to pastors and in hopes that they will be able to go back and, and teach more faithfully to their churches, to teach their churches to read faithfully. What's the level of access to Bibles uh, in their language? So it sounds like they spoke yes. a fair amount of English. They, um, no. Or was it? There was, no. there was, there were a couple, uh, I think maybe three people in the room that, uh, could follow in English oh, okay. uh, what I was doing. But I had a translator that uh, translated into Portuguese for me. Um, in terms of access to Scripture, um, most most Christians there seem to have Bibles. Um, Great. There there aren't many study resources. Um, the German couple that's the missionary couple there have collected uh, what seems to be probably most of the portuguese bible study material that's that's evangelical and it covers about the space of a of, of a wall um which for me is like i'm i'm used to going to maybe a conference or something like that where right. we could you know have an entire exhibition floor just covered with the new stuff that's recently yeah. come out yeah um, and so it's just like it's it's shocking and embarrassing like how little we've done to help resource um churches and, and other languages especially um but i had uh, the first day i asked the pastors to kind of give me a poll on how confident they felt their people in their churches were with studying the scriptures kind of a one to five assessment uh, one being the least and five being the most and 
um, the majority were kind of uh, were in the two range, um, and then there were some in the three range. But there, in in terms of confidence in studying scripture, it was, it was very very low, um, and I. I suspect some of that reflected even the the pastors in the room, their confidence with the scriptures. Um, so it was it was really eye opening. I think in that respect, um, another eye opening thing for me in the in the process was the reality of spiritual warfare. Um, I went um, to this beautiful place called Boco de Inferno, which means the mouth of hell. Which is a it's it's this beautiful place where the the ocean comes in and it comes down this little little uh, channel and then shoots up this water spout. Okay. Um, and so it's just kind of gathered this name over the years. And uh, we're walking down. And there, there are all these rocks around it. And uh, I looked and I said, "Hey, do people like camp out here? Because I see all these like campfires and stuff." And they're like, "No, no, no. That's that's where they do the sacrifices." Uh, oh wow. Yeah, for for witchcraft and all that kind of stuff, and um, it's just part of the air they breathe. There is like that's right. that's the culture. If if something's wrong, you you go to the witch doctor. Um, the couple I stayed with aren't able to have kids. And they they're like, you don't know how many times Christians have told us that it, we could just go to the witch doctor and uh, we would be able to have a kid. Um, and and it's it's very real stuff, you know, healings, um, um, insight, and all that kind of stuff happens. Um, the first day of classes, one of the pastors came to me, and he's like, "Yeah, we we meet on Sundays, and the witch doctors will show up outside, and they've got their drums and, and amplification equipment and stuff, and they're just disrupting our services." What do, do you have any? Advice? What do you do with this? What do you guys in the states? How do you deal with that? Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, and and it really does bring you back to okay so in the states we don't deal with this and and why is that and i'm uh, just kind of thinking through that in in some ways that um that the devil doesn't work as explicitly and openly as as he does in those contexts for some reason and maybe that's i don't know speculating here but yeah maybe it's because he figures he's got us where he wants us i don't know um yeah. but well, there may be more effective means here than physical disruption right yeah yeah, yeah sure and so it, it's just it, it really brought home the reality of yeah we are in a spiritual conflict the weapons of our warfare aren't physical but spiritual um and 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 to see how these brothers and sisters are fighting in that warfare like boots on the ground um having to really you know lean into these these concepts of, of scripture that I, th I think for us are kind of like theoretical are very very real to them and so when when we we're talking through i i did a little excerpt on colossians and talked about the the spiritual powers and how jesus has beaten that and like they they just got amped up um uh, so excited about that and they're like can we can we do some worship uh, now after that I'm yeah like, that's beautiful okay. that's the right response right yeah. when you when you see truth and glory and and scripture then to want to worship is is natural and and just like breathing i mean that's awesome yeah yeah i love hearing that so the the context is probably closer to what you're experiencing in india josh when uh, when you do start to get people gathered, like what's what kind of adversity presents itself for people in kind of a blossoming church in a place that has never heard? Yeah, so towards the uh, the last leg of our trip, we kind of 
had like five different legs. Went up north towards an area called Jammu and Kashmir. So in the area of Kashmir, northern India, since India has got its independence, it's Pakistan and India have been fighting over this land. It's really disputed. There's a lot of problems. While we were there, while we were traveling to uh, one of the villages we were going to, there was uh, not really a riot, but an attack, a terrorism attack. And we drove right by where they were cleaning up the road where it happened. Wow. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of unrest. And a guy that I met who's Kashmiri. So Kashmir, it's like a Kashmiri is an unreached people group. Mm-hmm. He came to faith 10 years ago. And the guy that... Um, kind of started discipling him, uh, started teaching him to obey Jesus and teaching other people how to obey Jesus. And then all the work in that area was kind of shut down three years ago because this guy was murdered for his faith. And so my friend that I was talking to was telling me, he's like, yeah, we don't really know how to go about the work. We want to stay faithful to the work, but like, and he, he, he was telling me stories and stories of people that have come to his house, pulled him out of his house, beat him up and, kind of did whatever they want to and then they left and then they'd come back a few months later if they heard he was telling more people about Jesus and I mean this brother's just got joy you know like he's been faithful and he's just he's not telling me about it in a lighthearted way but he was just kind of like you know this is this is the life we're living and so you know I'm listening to that like I want to learn from you how to follow Jesus you know yeah 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 it's it's way different in a in a context where there's a cost a real cost associated with your faith um so in in your work there uh, that's formative that's a really big deal to meet someone and be face to face and sit with them and and hear about their life and and their faithfulness what other uh standout experiences did you have that were either uh just victories on the ground there or things that are, are coming back with you and and pushing you forward yeah while you're thinking about the answer to that, I was going to uh, make an interesting aside. I, so my last Uber driver was from Kashmir and uh, was wow. sharing the gospel uh, with him because wow. Uber's just captive. I mean, you might as well uh, uh, oh, do yeah. that. It's but I was like, guy. I've never met anybody from Kashmir. So making the point, kind of the, the nations coming here, us going to the nations, like this whole flattened reality that we live in with with access to like I think if we orient our minds to uh, the people that are around us, even yeah, in Greenville totally, or Atlanta totally. or Chicago or wherever God has us, um, yeah, we're much more attentive to uh, access to places that what took you yeah. two days of travel right. or three days of travel to get yeah. to. Totally. Uh, to answer the question, so there's there's one guy several decades ago that said kind of the the thing behind the thing of all religions in South India is animism. People are really just trying to figure out who has the most power and how can I get on good terms with the one that has the most power, mm-hmm. and which is sort of how we work. Just it looks different with wealth and materialism and that sort of thing. Yep. So a lot of the thing behind the thing with Hinduism and Islam in that area is really a question of like who has the most power. That's who I'm going to kind of pledge my allegiance to. So in going through the stories with Jesus talking about the, the the way the kingdom works in Mark 4 and then going into him calming the storm and healing the demon and raising people from the dead, seeing that he has the most power, like seeing his spirit at work. When we would go out, we would we were trusting that God had prepared people to respond to the good news of Jesus because that's what his heart is, is for people to hear. 
So when we're looking for people, we're trusting that God's spirit is like the pioneer. He's the one that's gone before us to do the work. And um, he's the one that's preparing people to receive the message. So we we did a thing called a Luke 10 push one of the days or for several of the days while we were there. So in our context, we've talked about Luke 10 and uh, we've addressed it. It's kind of a pioneering context. But there's some principles we take from it. So some of those principles being like we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. We go two by two. We go in community and then we look for people that God's spirit has prepared. So while we were there, we're like, man, we're in a pioneering context. Why don't we just do that? So we just left for a few days and followed Luke 10 verbatim. So like as we're on our journey, you know, we're not really sure where we're going to stay and um, weren't really sure about really anything. So we're just praying like God, like. Would you lead us to people that are ready to hear this? Lead us to people that, like, you want to hear this message. And so it really kind of heightened dependence on the Spirit of God. And we, I mean, he provided every meal for us. He provided a place for us to stay every night. And we got to share with about 13 villages while we were there of people that had, like, never heard the good news of Jesus before, which... It's like a total win, but not not just that we got to share with them, but these are like relationships that the nationals are going to have going yeah. on out where they're going back routinely trying to teach them how to follow Jesus. People that were receptive and kind of scared to submit everything to Jesus, but were willing to like hear more. So for us, those were some really big wins. Yeah, that's that's tremendous. So, um, Matt, I know as you were returning, you shared with us that this was one of the, the most encouraging, most enjoyable short-term trips that you've been able to go on um what what made it so and what kind of brought you back eager to do more yeah so as as i'm listening to josh i'm thinking you know this uh paradigm that we see in acts with with starting and strengthening churches seems to be the connective tissue between this conversation you know you're you're pioneering work and sharing the gospel and sowing seeds and seeing people come to faith and you know, in some ways, both Phil and I's work was kind of spinning back behind a legacy of gospel sowing where the spirit had been active and at work and really helping to strengthen and establish churches. And I think that's the answer to the question is what makes something encouraging? What 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 about short term work is uh, life giving and and fuels a desire to do more for me when I think about the vast need around the church and all the things that we can do? You know, I think uh, local church health strengthening is like number one on my list and everything else is kind of number 16, you know, um, I mean, there, there are a ton of good things that you can do to alleviate poverty and dig wells and do all sorts of really good things. But when I think about what's going to most contribute to the long-term viability of this community, uh, having a healthy local church presence that is to Josh's language, like owning the core missionary task in that geography. And maybe as a, as a corollary to that, for that to happen, there has to be healthy leaders. So those things go together, uh, church establishment and pastor training. So I think what fuels me to come back and say it was a really good trip is that's what we were doing. We were doing what I think is the most important things to be doing for the long-term health of the community. Uh, I think secondly, with short-term work, my experience has been everything rises and falls based on uh, the, the the ability, the competence of the missionaries that are on the field. 
take the best team in the world, put them on a plane, equip them, but you get over there, they don't know what they're doing, they don't have good relationships, they yeah. have no strategy, whatever, the trip's poorly planned, and it just all devolves. So for me to go, and there's a highly competent individual who's got good relationships with people, who's structured a trip uh, in a way that is profitable, that that's a win. I think thirdly, you, we all have to think through what is what is like central to the way the Spirit has built us. So again, I can contribute to the work of missions around the world in a whole host of ways, uh, but being in that environment where I'm teaching yep. and um, and teaching and connecting, you know, helping. Hey, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Here's a resource that might be good. Let me follow up. Like that's just central to the way the Spirit has built me. Right. And so to be able to go and step into doing what you were kind of built to be decent at, I think is really important. And then the fourth thing uh, would be I was I was involved in English speaking work, and so right that makes it a not lot having to mediate this through a translator, being able to, you know, you, even just cumulative time, you know, you, you're thinking, hey, I've got to I've got to do this all like half, you know, I got to preach a 20 minute sermon, so it equals a 40 minute sermon, right. or my teaching unit. So being able to communicate uh, in my language, somebody receive that and actually like feel like I was really, really helping them. Mm -hmm. Man, that's super life giving. Absolutely. So um, what I'd like to do kind of by way of, of wrapping up is uh, one noticing in each of these three contexts, it, it really did seem that the spirit put people into places who he had prepared beforehand for that because Josh is a very pioneering I want to go somewhere I want to trust the spirit I want to you know break ground in a place and and is hoping I think to do that forever as a vocation as we go forward Phil is a teacher an equipper and it's a natural thing to go and say hey pastors let's think about how you can think better about scripture like that that feels natural and so that that's very cool to see uh, you know, maybe the opportunity came up because you were prepared for it. Maybe you were prepared for it because there was an opportunity coming in the future, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, God knows. And so if you're, you're feeling called to a trip or to an opportunity to share, to love, to minister, uh, sometimes I think we, we only think maybe, maybe the spirit's working in somebody else to get them ready to hear the gospel. But if God is really, uh, as, as Paul tells us in Romans eight, kind of taking you from, before you were born to glory and is holding every link of the chain in between, he's also prepared you for that opportunity uh, uniquely to be able to share with the neighbor that you live beside, to be able to uh, go to a place and share in a context that's something unique to you can uh, bring value and, and communicate the gospel in a unique way that, that's really important and informative. So uh, I'd like to invite you guys to share or invite other people to say what why should they go and be involved in, in short-term mission work? And then uh, if you know of something coming up that you're planning to do or could invite them into, that's awesome. But if it's just the invitation into short-term work, what would, what would be your appeal? I think one thing I would say at the outset is uh, in some ways, uh, some of our listeners uh, are already involved in short-term work, even though they may not um, have gone on a trip yet. I was thinking... You know, one of the beauties of collaborative um, mission in a local church context is, yes, like the three of us, four of us are built uniquely 
uh, to do some things that may seem distinct from what other members of our congregation can do. But I know for me personally, I was able to be in Uganda because uh, members gave uh, generously uh, to fund that work. And that is no less significant. I mean, the, the gospel is going forward because... Uh, the grace gift of generosity is demonstrated in our church. And yep. those, those like hidden gifts uh, that position people um, to do things that they're good at and uh, to be in places, I know it's true for Josh as well, and, and being in India, like that's, that is because of the generosity uh, of people that allows those kind of things to happen. So one would just be a word of thanks. And, and it, absolutely, like there's a general thanks, hey, by virtue of, uh, being a part of our church, we contribute indirectly to, man, all sorts of work today that you'll never see. I, mean, I think right. I woke up this morning to news of a Nashville tornado, right? So, um, you know, we are contributing to disaster relief that will be in those communities today by virtue of, you know, our, our collective work as a Southern Baptist church. Yep. But then specifically to say, hey, how can I get behind somebody and fuel something that they're doing. So people that fund residents, people that fund mission endeavors, people that help the Stuckies move to Chicago, people that are giving so that Caleb and Jamie could come home and see their family, those kind of things. Man, that, that's really significant yeah. to work in, in the gospel going forward. Yeah, I would say two things. First, uh, in Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, when he came home from China and he was trying to recruit more people to go back, he came across a lot of 20-somethings that were telling him, I just don't feel like God is calling me to go to China. And he they would say, he would say, well, what do you think God is calling you to? And they would be like, well, we don't know. But we don't sense anything towards China. And he would respond by saying, well, you know what God's heart is. You know what God's heart is for all people to know him and worship him. Sitting, shouldn't the position of your heart be to go towards those places until God really clearly directs you somewhere else? And I would just say that should really, I think, like should be the paradigm for how most of us think is we know this is God's heart. And not just to go to 1040 window or some other place, but to every morning when we wake up and we're spending time with the Lord asking, like, like, what do you want to do today? Like, who who do you have in my path today? Like, show me where you're at work because I want to join you in where you're at work because his heart is to reclaim worshipers and he's at work. So when we when we ask him where he's working, he attunes our hearts to see where he's working and then we get to step into that. Yeah. And that, that's the example of Christ as well to say, uh, I only said the words that the father gave me to say. Yeah. I went the places he put me. I did the miracles he gave me. Yeah. You know, he he acted that out yeah. perfectly. And um, yeah, we have the opportunity to join in with that. One of the ways I orient my heart, like in my personal disciplines to that is just um, subscribing to missionary newsletters. And like every day I wake up to an email inbox that's flooded with updates of what God's doing around the world. So if you, you know, subscribing to unreached people groups, kind of reports that will send a daily blurb. I know we do this kind of bless our neighbors uh, app that every day sends me a prayer reminder for people in my neighborhood specifically uh, that I can pray for. But if there's a, uh, we've been in Colossians three talking about putting off and putting on, if there's a way to put on an orientation to mission each morning that says this is what God is doing. Let me orient my I think it's going to be easier for us when short-term trips do come around or a serve day in our community or whatever to say, 
yeah, I mean, naturally my yes would be on the table to right. that because I'm, that's what I'm thinking about each morning anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think even just helping the short-term teams that are going uh, is, a, is a huge gift for the church. And I feel that here at TCC uh, is a, has a clear burden, not only in, in the generosity of giving, but also in, in the prayer and support while um, gone. I know uh, people checked in with Laurel while I was gone, and that means a lot to me because that kind of takes a little bit of the stress off and know that, knowing that people are praying for me while I'm going. Um, that's that's a huge component of it, and it and we shouldn't devalue that because that's essential for for the success of the trip and uh, just the sanity of the people who are going. Um, as as well, I think you know a lot of times we think very short term, uh, not just about trips, but just in terms of our own ministry. And so the the thinking is often, well, what can I be doing like next month or this year uh, for for missions and that kind of thing instead of taking kind of a longer look. And so some things that I think would be very helpful if you're kind of in that 20 something stage and kind of looking forward would be, um, learn a language, like spend some time, uh, like that, that could be, uh, you'd be surprised at the potential, not only on the ground, but even just the ability to be able to translate resources. Like we were talking about to make stuff available in other languages, um, could be incredible. Um, the even even thinking even even longer, uh, one of the things that the the missionary couple told me was, um, Phil, you're you're probably about the youngest person that we would be okay with coming to to teach, um, and and basically you're you're kind of getting away with it for for a number of reasons, but uh, really it helps having somebody who's who's just got some age on them. It it doesn't yeah. necessarily matter. Um, you know, a lot of experience or degrees or anything like that, but, but age communicates a lot in that culture. And so just thinking long-term down the road, a life of faithfulness um, is something that can be uh, cashed in on in that kind of ministry. And so um, just, just thinking very far down the road in terms of um, how you're staying faithful in your marriage and your walk with the Lord and your own personal study of scripture and being able to uh, like we talked about um, in the case of Uganda, being able to, when you're in those retirement years, be able to uh, really dump that into a ministry context overseas. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, it makes me think of some of the people who are like famous pastors and authors now who lived a life kind of head down doing the work, loving their churches, loving their families, doing everything they can to to be prepared for one day the spirit used them to write a book that was very influential, gave them access to a lot of people to speak and talk and whatever. That was not their aim when they were 20. Their aim when they were 20 is to faithfully love the people that were around them. And that kind of has compounding interest, just like you'd hope for your retirement account. If you were thinking in those ways to say one day you're going to have a lot of weight to throw around for the gospel because of a long life of faithfulness. So yeah, that's, that's great. That's a good long-term trajectory. And I think a good place to, shut it down for this week. So uh, thank you guys. If you stuck around this whole time, I don't know how you couldn't. This is all really captivating stuff to to somebody who uh, loves the Lord and is, is interested to see how uh, he's working around the world and locally. Uh, I hope that you got something here that will encourage you to live faithfully, to think of, of giving towards mission endeavors, to be praying for, checking on, uh, supporting, encouraging missionaries, and uh, whether they're short-term or long-term. 
uh, going abroad. Um, if you are enjoying these conversations, we'd love it if you would, in the space where you like to listen to them, leave a positive review, share it with a friend. Uh, if somebody is thinking of missions in this case, uh, this would be a great conversation for them to hear kind of the experiences firsthand, boots on the ground from a variety of international contexts and uh, to see the need and the opportunity. And just as Matt said, you, you don't need to be a PhD to go and serve and love and help people. Uh, in our context, functionally, somebody who's a faithful small group member could really do a lot of damage for the kingdom in a place where people uh, have very little gospel literacy and uh, just don't even know how to read and study the Bible for themselves. Man, you could do so much good in, in that space uh, with just minimal skill in those spaces. So uh, thank you again for listening, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon.